0: Experience my high standards, but I'm going re- to shy, shy away from revealing my deep devotion to your success. Some notion of tough love, or I'm going to be so devoted to your success, I'm going to insidiously lower the standards. None of those work. What we want to do is have both of them at the same time. And here's the really cool thing: in the presence of high standards and deep devotion, you can set the highest standards of all, and that's why you, you get the accelerant on improvement. It's easy. team and if I have learned how to be inclusive of everyone on that team if you have a homogeneous team
1: or you have a diverse team but you don't know how to be inclusive of it you are going to be um, sorely underperforming
0: so I know that diverse teams outperform homogeneous teams if and only if we are inclusive of the difference and so we teach people how to be inclusive of the difference And the shorthand of it is if all of us make sure each of us feels included, we will then be able to bring all of our great creativity and all of our great ingenuity. And if I've made a mistake, there's no reason for you to have to make a mistake because you can learn from mine. Um, inclusion is as operational a thing as trust or high standards and deep devotion. It's got a lot more emotional baggage. So this one is hard emotionally, <clears throat> but it is this one that gives us a 2 to 5x performance boost. So this is the one that is really, like when we say inclusion is an urgent achievable goal, this is what we're talking about. Um, so that's everything you do. Uh, that's everything we do to set um, other people up for success. What we say is that leadership is about making others better as a result of our presence, and so that is—it's not about you. Trust, love, belonging—that's what we just did, and then importantly, in a way to last into our absence. And so, if Lily is no longer in my presence and she's off doing all of the fabulous things that she does, and she wants to harken back to, huh? Now, what am I just got these twenty decisions? how do I know what's the right answer for these 20 decisions? And let's say there's thousands of Lilies going around the world and each one of them has 20 decisions. And they're like, huh, what's the right decision for these, for these here? <clears throat> there are two guiding principles that Lily has, and the strength of these guiding principles will influence how great the organization does. And the guiding principles are, how well does Lily understand the strategy? So it's not how beautiful the strategists created it and put it on their shelves, but how well does it live in the heart, soul, and mind of Lily? Is it actionable down to the decision? So it's how well does she understand the strategy? And everywhere where strategy is silent, does her experience of the culture fill in the gaps? And if so, we are going to thrive both in the presence of leaders and in the absence of
2: it's the book. Yeah, very nice. I'm loading right now, and there uh, uh, we have some questions. to you. Uh, first, oh, I have a lot here, so i don't don't want to be the one to speak. here. lot, go
0: ahead, but please. Uh, oh, sorry, I was just applauding. Thank you, mm-hmm. thank you. I'll add the applause. I think everybody wanted to we'll just we'll just take care of it for everybody. Oh,
1: I love that.
2: Nice, nice, nice i i love this uh phrase uh take out mirrors and put windows uh that's so nice and looks so easy in real life it's probably very difficult is it uh, uh one of the sessions we were discussing i think it was a pro- about prof- uh, professor Cliff christensen uh mission established freddy uh one of our colleagues from opm was saying that. Uh, we, keep, we should keep reflecting our, uh, ourselves against others, but in, in, your, in your saying, what you, what you say, we should uh, put these windows, right? How easy is it to, to do the things? I think it's, uh, the phrase is uh, sounds easy, but is it easy to do?
0: Well, it's, it's very easy to get self-distracted. In fact, everyone is going to be encouraging you to get self-distracted. Certainly, the more senior you are in an organization, the more trained people have been to attend to your needs so it's easy to f- fall into that pavement um, having said that you only have to correct people 3 4 5 times and they'll stop doing it so people fall into rhythms i think clay christensen is a beautiful example he got l- the world to fall into different <laughs> um, he had different operating rhythms of others would start treating him the same way, and then after like three weeks, they would stop. So um, all mammals adapt, and people can adapt to yours, but to your point, yes, if you open the door, somebody's going to come in and hang up a mirror. If you take it down and put in a and put in a window and act like that, it'll take two weeks.
2: Yeah, thank, thank you so much. I have a bunch of other questions, but I want other people to speak. So you get command or we have our uh, a lot of people joining so maybe we are uh, starting them to really. If anyone
3: has a question, um just feel free to jump in. with that. But, so my question is part of that and then the other part that I, I, is so interesting to me, the window and the mirror, I've heard it explained this way, um, picture you're in the office and the, the window is where you look out and you see everybody else. And then there's the mirror. And the way I've heard had this explained to me by a mentor in, in great, great detail over and over again, almost brainwashing on it, is the mirror and the window. And the mirror is the place where you go when things go wrong, and the window is the place where you go when things go right. So if anything goes wrong, you're looking in the mirror, anything that goes right, it's in the window, So what I've heard it explained, But I'd really love to hear you know, a breakdown of the definition of how you define empathy and how that looks today, the false empathy versus genuine empathy. And I'd love to sure. hear any thoughts you have on that. Francis. thank you for having me up on the stage, so so honored.
0: Sure, so I think um, your mentor was saying who gets the blame, and they're saying you get the blame if it goes badly and the team gets the blame if it goes well. I'm not sure you needed the window and mirror there, you could have had a basket for each. Um, but I totally, I, I like that way of thinking that in the end you either didn't put the right people in place, you didn't make sure they had the right capability, motivation, or license to do the job, so I agree with it um, very much. That part of it, um, the on empathy, I, I think you're asking about sincere empathy and performative empathy, and there has been over the last you know, year or two plenty of room for performative empathy. In fact, in the right after the murders of George Floyd and others, there was a lot of empathy, and we didn't know if it was performative or not, and you usually don't find out until retrospect whether or not it was performative. It it sure felt like everybody would pass a lie detector test, but the real test of that empathy is in two months, in five months, in six months, in 12 months, is it felt just as viscerally, or was it a first in, first out? So I think I think performative shows up. Performative separates from sincere over time. Is is my observation. Unless it's like super clumsy performative, but I'm I'm assuming that there's some part of it and I'm not even sure people know that they're on the part that's going to peel off. It's just that they think they've done it once and that that's sufficient. And that empathy is for me, my mind, empathy is centering on you. I don't center on you once. June of 2020, and then I'm centered for ever after. I center on you in July of 2020, and August, and September, and October. So it's a, it's a recentering that I think has to occur. And if you don't, it's gonna, it's gonna, you know, spiral off into performative. So that's my sense there. And it's, I'm not sure that it's as much people being. Um, evil people as much as it is people not realizing what it takes to do it and they got busy and they um you know with shame uh they stopped paying attention to it but they're but they didn't say, you know what, life has gotten big, we can't concentrate on this as much as we wanted to. My apologies. They don't say that, they just stop doing it, hoping people won't see. And of course everyone can see. So very little gets done behind the curtain, so that's my thought on empathy. Um, and then you asked a question about the mirror, but I'm so bad at keeping
3: things. Yeah, it's even more <laughs> than <toward Right>. that. <laughs> you're, the, you're, the, what we dive down into is like, who are three examples of people you think are going to have sustainable empathy, like from today forward in the business world? Like, who are three or four names that come to mind Because the first name I brought up seems that way is um, Pat Gelsinger of, um, of Intel. He was with, um, uh, for Intel, he was with VMware. And that's a person that I see as a potential example of forward empathy. And I was wondering, you know, do you have three or four examples? Sure. In the years forward, I expect these three people to have empathy.
1: Yeah, so
0: Microsoft is clearly the one, and it's both because of Kathleen Hogan and an Nadella, the HRO, and the CEO. Um, Gusto, because of Lexi Reese, and she just left being the COO, but I think she has created an organization that can create and distribute empathy in her absence. Um, Claire Johnson at Stripe um, uh, is doing it. And then for the fourth one, let me see if I can get outside of tech. What's an organization that has – well, I can tell you PillPack, which is a really lovely, innovative – healthcare company that did just get bought by Amazon, and I tend to not know what happens behind the curtain. pack before the curtain, <laughs> um, I would have ticked them. And I don't know, but I'd, hear, I'd like to hear also from other people. But the, the most famous ones, the ones you'll read about in the paper, are Microsoft Gusto and Stripe. Yeah, the, Microsoft, we'll, the, the second
3: one again, Gusto, yeah.
0: their, their target market is small businesses, so
3: you might be Stripe is the financial service yeah, provider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was interesting because I saw Satya Nadella and Stripe talk at uh, a blitz-scaling conference because that's uh, it was, uh, when they did that blitz-scaling series with Ray Hoffman of LinkedIn at, uh, at, at Stanford. And, and I watched uh, Satya Nadella and I watched the uh, founder of Stripe uh, talk about stuff. Like, and the oh, founder at Stripe is good, but it's Claire Johnson, the COO. C- perfect. I'm going to look those up. Good. Thank you so much. Yeah, appreciate it tenfold.
2: Thank you, Steven, for asking your question. We have uh, uh okay. Let's ask one by one. We have Archie here. Archie, do you have any question? Then Dutch. Archie is our active uh, one of our uh, friends, organizers in our small community of OPM. Archie uh, is a big traveler, so and she always has something to ask. So I'm sure she has a question. she?
1: Actually, thank you all. Well, uh, right now, for uh, I just wanted to comment that I was amazed at the clarity of your vision how you explained the book in such short uh, you know, summary that you gave was like uh, showed me how clear your vision was to write, it was very clear on the thought process but um, I don't have a specific question I would let all of the other uh, participants first ask the question and I would listen thank you
2: Taj, do you have any questions? Uh, otherwise, we'll ask Kinga. Uh, Taj. I'll maybe introduce yourself quickly and then ask a question. Taj, hello. Uh, we can't hear Taj. Okay, we have this uh, I saw Tina was uh, showing a sign. She wanted to ask Hi, Tina. How are you?
4: Hi, sorry, I was actually clapping, but I do have a question for Francis. And Hi, hello Inga. Francis! Hello. Happy Inga. Saturday. I'm hello. so you hearing your voice makes me so happy, and I love you to pieces. I love your book. You already know this, but I'm gonna reiterate. I wanna celebrate you all the time. Okay, my question is an insecurity I personally have is I always want to make everybody feel included in an initiative that I uh, take on, and I wonder you know, if you can offer some tips, because not everybody's going to buy in right away, and, you know, does that resonate with anybody you know, or yourself, and if you can offer me any tips?
0: Yeah, I think you want to start with a coalition of the willing, and an Perfect. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could go on, but that's it. Like, don't convince anyone to do it. It's just a drag, just a coalition of the willing. but an open door that you can escort people in whenever they want.
4: And then when uh, – can I follow up with of the – um, You know, do you so, – so when the willing, you know, come to me, um, you know, when I'm leading something uh, – how do I put boundaries on where, you know, I don't, I don't have to overexert myself personally in, in trying to make everybody feel included, but I am also able to balance the people that do want to be included and respect that? Thank you. Yeah, so
0: I think that it's, you know, one of the statements I heard a long time ago, it's not what you cover, it's what you uncover. You don't have to cover everything, just make sure that, that what you do uncovers something meaningful. And this can be rolled out over time. So let's do something well, put some punctuation on it, and then let's do something well, and put some punctuation on it. So it, it's not what you cover in the beginning, it's what you uncover.
4: Thank you, Francis. And I'll be clapping, so if you see me <laughs> like on and off, it's just me yeah.
0: clapping.
2: Thank you. Okay, thank you, thank you, Professor Price. Uh, we have also, Taj. maybe Taj, uh, you can speak right now. Uh, can't hear you, so maybe now it's working. Okay, we can't hear Taj. We have uh, Jeff. Jeff is OPM Policy right here after me. Uh, Jeff has always some clothes and he's active participant of our group. Jeff, hi, how are you doing today? Good morning, good morning, good morning, Francis. Uh, nice to hear you again. You, uh, I think, uh, we had you
3: in maybe 2013 after the first book at OPM Wow, yes. Uh, Yet, so I'll put that on my list today. But um, great, great to hear from you and your thoughts. Uh, nice to have you back uh, after your, uh, your your visit to Uber. Um, which ended up to be a, kind of a long and, and interesting thing. There's probably a book there somewhere too, I imagine. Not
0: sure it's one I want to write. I understand.
1: <laughs> maybe we'll have we'll have to get you a, a lot of wine one night, maybe. Uh, maybe
3: maybe it'll be a one-act play. We'll see, we'll see. Fair enough, fair enough. No, I think I that's think super interesting and I'm just uh, sitting back trying to absorb some of, some of the new content. It's been great to have you here.
0: Thanks so much, Jeff.
3: Okay, thank you, Jeff.
2: Okay, let's go one we one. We have, uh, have Shaima. Shaima is right pronounce. How are you doing today? Uh, you have an amazing
5: profile. Uh, and you have something to say. Maybe you have questions. How are you today?
1: Good. Thank you
6: so much, Volume. Yes, it's Shema. Uh, First time I actually come into this room. I'm very very interested and uh, I like what Francis was talking about. And as someone, just to give you a quick overview of myself. I'm uh, from the Middle East in Kuwait I'm in leadership in the oil and gas industry with a petroleum engineering background with over 21 years of experience worked in six different countries but in offshore platforms on nine and traveled 35 countries for work so the thing that is relevant to this room is I'm the deputy chairman of the youth PMO and the deputy chairman of the diversity and inclusion here in Kuwait and something that I've seen that's significant about empowering uh, you know and having that diverse, background of individuals working on projects, but empowering the youth especially, which is uh, my passion, dare I say, um, is that the, the strategic normal ways in the past has been to actually allow the people that know what they're doing, that are senior, to be up there in front of leadership, in front of the board, in front of, you know, committees, and all that does is it keeps people that are in... You know earlier in their career really shadowed and not able to rise and try to learn the skills that they need of leadership management and you end up having managers reaching management levels that don't know how to lead so what i've been trying to do is bringing into the organization the soft skills the leadership skills from the beginning exposing the youth to leadership to the boards i mean initially these kids were trembling you know early 20s and they have to present in front of the board but i've seen a significant uh, empowerment in them here i am a couple of years into it and these kids are freaking shining they're presenting at conferences they are excelling and i just believe that all these skills and all these things that are that you know francis was talking about a sense of empowering everyone around us needs to start at a much earlier age and a much earlier stage in your career than what currently is happening in the norm per se leadership and uh for me yes i am very much an empathetic leader in the sense that especially with COVID, i believe the only silver lining in this disastrous pandemic is it allowed us to be more empathetic of our people we see that productivity actually increased with remote work because when you have trust you have empathy and you're giving People will give you much more. When they realize that you care, and you genuinely care, they will work harder. They will give you a lot more. And, you know, they don't care about the hours. They just have that bond now where it does feel like a family instead of just being an employee or a number in the industry. So I just wanted to add that to your views, Francis, about, you know, where we are now with the youth and where we really need to
0: be. Oh, I'd like to play in your band. I am... (laughs) I, I agree with everything you said. The um, I think it's always true that the youth are, are our salvation. I think we have empirical evidence that the youth today are even more skilled and have more audacity and more collective courage than any other in my lifetime. So, And yes, they'll be m- missing a few secret memos on what you call the soft skills, but those are so easy to teach. And so I'm standing right next to you in all of it. Um, I agree that we shouldn't go stand in front of a board without um, bringing along for experience or knowledge but for their experience without bringing along um, youth that want to do these things. This The world has a lot of big problems and I, I expect the vast majority of them to be solved by people that are significantly younger than us.
1: So Francis, I have a question now. Um, I have a- like you said, you need to have a very diverse team to be successful. I'm ask my uh, but, yeah, I do have a diverse team. What am I doing wrong if it's not working? What can is I the what? What are the uh, top three pitfalls? What am I doing wrong if it's not coming together? Um, can you give me just a little bit of um, color on what's not going well?
0: Which is, whenever there are people that are not doing a good job, like objectively a good job, and it sounds like these are objectively not a good job if we're missing promises to the customer, um, I put the, I come up with three magnifying glasses that I go out and look with. And one is a capability magnifying glass, one is a motivation magnifying glass, and the third one is a license magnifying glass. And for each place where the work isn't going well, is it capability, motivation, or license? And I try you're welcome to bring up with a fourth, but I don't think you're gonna find a fourth in the beginning. Um, now the capability could be there because I hired you to do a job that you don't know how to do and I didn't give you the appropriate training to do it. The motivation is that I, you know, I, I put you into a situation where I have perverse incentives, so The motivation to speak up across uh, departments you just get smacked for, so I'm not going to want to do that. Or you have the capability and the motivation, but you're just not sure you're allowed to, and so you're going to keep quiet. So with capability, motivation, and license as like a color-coded veneer, I would go around and put stickies, and I would see which is which. The reason it's important to have these three is that a license Description, a licensed diagnosis, the capability prescription won't work at all. A motivation diagnos- diagnosis, a, a license prescription won't work at all. So those are the three places I would work with one double click on capability for training and job design.
1: Wow, I never thought of it that way. Thank you so much. You have no idea how much you are helped.
0: I'm very glad to hear that.
1: Thank you, Arshif, for asking this question. We have Joe here. Next line, Joe, how are you today? Are you part of OPM? I have seen you for a times. Do you have a question?
5: In the way and that's
0: Joe, could you give um, just quick, uh, simplified examples of either of those so I can make sure I understand what sensitive and righteous mean? Sure.
5: So, uh, an example would be that a member of the team presents uh, a a situation. On the righteousness, it has to do a little bit more with the leadership team has a very clear vision of how they want to do things, and a member of the team has a slightly different idea to circumvent uh, an issue, and I've seen uh, a few people in the leadership team getting stuck on, no, this is how we're going to do it. We're very clear, and there's not an open
0: These are beautiful. And now I'm going to ask one last question, Joe. Do you want recommendations for the person who is speaking or the the leadership
5: team that are being spoken to? I want, if if you don't mind, I love both. Uh, 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 That would be great. All right. Let me give it a go. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay.
0: All right. So the sensitivity one, and that is when I have a great idea. Um, But when I'm doing it, and part of it is a little rough around the edges um, uh, in describing it, and it could well be it's a hard-worn lesson that I got to, so something that happened before I got to the stage that just still stings. Um, So I'm sensitive about it because here's what we're deciding, but I didn't get the promotion and this and that. So there's something that stings for the person who's talking, and so how do you depersonalize it? And try to do it for all of us and then on the listening if you hear stings can you smooth over or do you want to go and nitpick within so what i would say in general is in public don't double don't pull the threads of stings um only out of compassion not curiosity only out of compassion go and follow up on um on the threads but not out of curiosity so I can sort of learn more about others. But it is a signal that somebody probably needs a little bit of attention. On the talker, I want to be able to talk about this until it's no longer about me. So sometimes you do a trial run of once or twice or three times. I'm going to go for 20, 25, or 30. I have to do a trial run until it is just no longer about me, which means all of those things have been let go. And no way in your first 10 tries will they not be there. So that's what I would would say for that one. On the righteousness, that one's a little more complicated. Um, And that is, you know, I'm saying I want an audience, but I don't really want an audience. I want an audience so I can celebrate the first person who thinks like me. Um, And so the question there is, what do I do? And I come across people who think completely different than me. And I think it's important for all leaders to have in their pockets phrases for when people think completely differently than me. Wow. That's completely different. I don't know if I'm up to speed enough to be able to digest it. Like just something where I'm not saying no to that person. I'm not saying no to me. I'm not pretending I have the end all. Or wow, um, you're taking me in a whole different direction than I was expecting, and I alone, I can't go there. How about anyone else on the team? So it's it's being honest about its difference as opposed to being dismissive that the person just said 2 plus 2 is 6, so they must be wrong. So it's the honoring the distinction, even without, <coughs> it, uh, you know, hook, line, and sinker. But you want to honor it because... Those distinctions are what are going to give you your best ideas going forward. So, you don't want to shut down distinctions going forward, even if you right now can't handle
2: them. Amazing response. Uh, Joe, is it a good answer enough for you? Uh, Good enough, Joe? Yeah. Responding to your concern. Thank you so much. Yeah.
1: That was spot on. Thank you.
5: Thank you so much. Great insight. great tool, so I
2: appreciate it. Great, Joe. Thank you, Joe. Okay. And uh, also here. Uh, I should not have know allowed to clap. So, Kieran, uh, good to hear you, have you here. I uh, have your product and engineer leader working for years. Kieran, do you have a question? Can you introduce yourself quickly? Yep. Yeah. Can you guys hear me okay
1: well?
2: Yes, we can hear you well. Got it. Thank you. Uh, Professor
1: Francis, it's always good to hear you on a Saturday. Uh, for the opportunity, uh, it's, it's been a while on the stage along with you. So, I think you know, uh, one question I have is uh, more around the,
5: uh, the overall uh, leadership and you know, uh, some of the principles
1: that leaders have to live by. Uh, leading people is a tough job, and uh, unless uh, leaders feel the purpose of it and, uh, and be very practical about
5: Right, And uh, one of the things that I've been observing is, you know, uh, uh, one thing that comes with leadership roles is a lot of loneliness
1: and, uh, and the ability to reflect with yourself again and again and again and again. Right. And uh, uh, just, just curious to hear your thoughts on, you know, any, st- uh, any tips for navigating that yeah. loneliness. Yeah. And, uh, any insights?
0: Yeah, sure. I got a good one. It's a little expensive, but OPM at HBS. Sure. <laughs> Never be lonely again. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, and I mean that sincerely. Like Going through um, a, uh, a really hard thing together where it's an emotional learning environment so that you'll have loads of people that will understand your insecurities. And if you go through OPM, you can't help but have your insecurities come up. And you'll have loads of people who will be comfortable with your audacity. And if you go through OBM, you can't help but have audacities beyond Audacities. And then what you want to do is sift through and get the people who are equally comfortable with audacity and insecurity and team up with them. You don't once you're in a moment of need, you don't want to have to create the need. You already want it to be frictionless communication. So requirement for memberships are equally comfortable with its security and audacity. And I think going to a program like OPM, that is a that is a beautiful, beautiful place with which to source from. Yes, Thank you. I can confirm.
2: Thank you, Kieran. I can confirm this. Uh, I'm not objective, but I'm OPMer. So, <laughs> disclaimer, it's an amazing program, that's true. So everybody who has, hasn't... Uh, Done it. Uh, it's not cheap program, I would say, but it works many many times, right? So, okay, thank you, Care for your question. Uh, and we have Shale here. Shale, uh, good to have you here. Please, uh, introduce yourself quickly and ask a question. We have our continuous minutes left for the um, session. I'll be quick. I have a very simple question. Uh, my name is Shale. I'm in the Bay Area. I'm in the tech space. I'm executive at tech space. Professor Francis, you are the X-Factor and the reason why I keep coming back to the Clubhouse. love hearing your views, so thank you for that. My question
3: is really around um, empathy and trust, which is the topic we've been talking about. In Particularly in the tech sector, I've seen a lot of mention, or I would say rather say lip service, around humility, often asked as uh, bravado, um, but doesn't necessarily manifest itself into action. is can trust and empathy be measured?
1: Um, Great question.
0: Um, I'm I'm not sure that they can be with like the same way that my weight can be measured. So I'm not sure that we have a a scale for it. But I bet we have. (coughs) So when people get asked questions of, you know, do you have trust in seniors? numbers tend to go up and down when there genuinely is trust and senior leadership. I'd call those more qualitative measures. Um, empathy, I think, the same way. It's going to be more qualitative. Um, to me, trust and empathy are great drivers of performance. So if I can do things that make these go up, I'm going to grid. So, you know, if you look at design, if we bring in a great empathetic designer and they design an app that's got a much better user interface, that, and this is one of the things that PillPack did that was so amazing, they took it from the consumer's perspective, not the drugstore and not the uh, not the payer, um, if you have an empathetic design, you'll see things happen. So empathy to me seems to be a driver of it, but have I seen it? measured well. I mean, I know Edelman does these trust surveys, but I've never really been moved by it. So never, so I guess long way of saying, whatever metrics exists, I'd probably trust a delta in trust, as opposed to the actual me. Um, But I'm curious, what's your experience?
3: I haven't seen any. Uh, I think the, the the ones that I have seen are obviously tied to business that scores, customer effort scores as an example of revenue, uh, the quarterly thought process of an organization to meet quarterly goals, but I've not seen an executive measure that ties to, uh, you know, of course there's employee engagement as well, but nothing that is specifically tied to trust and empathy. It ebbs and flows within the organization. Depending on who the leader is and how the leadership flows within the
0: organization. Yeah, I guess the one, if I had to pick all of those, be, um, um, what's your trust in senior leadership, and what do you observe others trust in senior leadership? Because I like distinguishing between the two.
3: Yeah, those are those are very good points, and and I guess those are garnered through. Surveys, yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm I think there'd be very nice work to be done if we could get a handle on it so that it was somehow an achievement as opposed to a sentiment. I'm just not aware of it, but I think that'd be an interesting thing to look at.
3: Thank you for your comments, really thank appreciate you. it.
2: Uh, th- thank you, thank you, Uh, Christina, hi, good to see you. Christina is one of our active group and helping us to get organized. Uh, I'm sure she has a question or comment. Christina, how are you doing today?
7: Hi Paul, Uh, thanks so much uh, for organizing uh, with Lily this um, great conversation (coughs) and thanks to Professor Francis for all her great tips. Um, I wanted to ask something about um, what HDS uh, is doing in terms uh, of educational um, initiatives to empower uh, not only about uh, gender equality, so empowering women, but em- enquir- uh, empowering also people that uh, uh, comes from different uh, socioeconomic backgrounds and uh, uh, teaching about uh, treating in an equal way uh, and uh, inspiring leaders to give equality of opportunities uh, regardless of socioeconomic status. This was something that I was totally unprepared about. When I arrived at Harvard in 2010, uh, I did uh, a summer preschool where there was a lot of awesome teaching about uh, women empowerment, specifically on that, uh, going through all literature of all the women had to go through in terms of this empowerment across centuries. What I really was um, not prepared was to the disempowerment that came from very wealthy students on campus, where the jokes about uh, less wealthy students were very uh, frequent. But even after graduating, it, it was a constant uh, um, in, in my life as alumni after, uh, both from alumni, which often emphasized that my place in the world was at the bottom because in what they perceived to be uh, my social status, uh, I didn't deserve uh, leadership positions and was not because I was a woman it was mostly social status really I believe um, due to the comments but also no, I did I faced this and I'm not the only one uh, talking with some alumni uh, friends of mine from the Middle East they face the same with the ARVA degree we were perceived as if we had stepped out of our place uh, we had to be more yeah. um, you mild, more uh, uh, humble, more uh, um, acceptable of uh, roles that were maybe just technical, where we didn't have to lead anyone but just execute, not have a voice, uh, just follow instruction. That was our place was seen, even if before Harvard it was not, not like that. But before Harvard we, were not, Harvard, we were not seen as a threat for the position of leadership of others. After Harvard, we were seen out of place. And really uh, a campus that I didn't see any preparation for this for the life on campus and after so sorry if I've not been very succinct but uh, oh I'm you're being you're awesome you're
0: awesome yeah so let me try to address it and tell you what we've done and what we haven't done so from when you were talking I wrote down five categories I'm sure there's more but um, queer, gender, race, socioeconomic, disability. Those are at least um, uh, five of them. We have had a um, push with more success than less over the last two years of, um, and counting helps, but of counting and having cases in the first-year curriculum, so you would be hard-pressed now to have a first-year curriculum not have protagonists along these dimensions, or not have a case issue along these dimensions. And I feel pretty comfortable saying in 2010 you didn't have it. Um, so that this this has been a a new a new thing to make our curriculum less narrow. That's the first thing. The second thing that we've done is we've been experimenting over the last few years with a course called Inclusive Leadership. And the reason we call it Inclusive Leadership, when you hear the word inclusive, you usually think diversity and inclusion. Um, And the thought being, if you make the world more diverse, inclusion will follow. What we have found out is that you can make the world more diverse, you can make a class more diverse, you can make a company more diverse, and inclusion could never follow. It just gets on a diversity treadmill. So instead, what we have found is that if you make an environment more inclusive, diversity always follows. So if you ask which of these two words is more important in creating an organization that's going to thump everyone else, back to, what our main, at least what my main role is, it's inclusion. If I can create an inclusive environment that's inclusive of queer and all genders and all races and socioeconomic and disability and, and, and I'll be able to thump any team that can only attract and retain people who look like one another. So we've been teaching a course called inclusive leadership for the last few years as a second year required curriculum this year coming up. So in in the um, spring of 2022, it'll be the first time that we're teaching inclusive leadership as an RC course. So we're still going to have every other course is going to be doing, having theirs, but we're going to do it soup to nuts. And there was a lot of talk, should it be required, should it not, like all of this, it's required. We're teaching it to all one thousand students at a time. So sometimes courses are taught in sections of a hundred, ten sections of a hundred. There's three faculty. We're we're three broad shouldered faculty. I'm one of them, and the three of us are going to teach it to the thousand. Um, and it'll be an experiment, but it will begin to pave the way to have inclusive leadership as much a part of our curriculum as operations or finance or ethics or anything else so Christina I think your observation is right I don't think it's going to make go away in right away your when we leave here how do we behave like in a way or how do we handle the pressures and I think we should still augment the end of a of a curriculum and the end of a classroom with that that to me sounds like something that alums could come back and do because the school wouldn't know how to do it
7: Awesome. Thank, thank you. It's great to hear about uh, all these improvements. Thanks.
2: Sure. Thank you, Francis. So we are finishing right now. And uh, Francis, that's amazing. And we are so grateful the whole OPM, I guess, uh, for your... We are all now, because Francis, thank you so much for coming today. Amazing, very deep answers. A lot of things are covered, but we have a very limited time. So please, those who... Read just summaries. Please go ahead and buy book right now. This really uh, interesting uh, uh, subject, and I think will be you find many answers to your business currently. So uh, thank you so much again. I'm sure Lydia has a few to say. I uh, I would like to invite everybody for our next session. So we'll be speaking with our Opium community. It will be open. We'll be speaking about about future, preparing our business for 2040 and beyond. It's a long subject and a good subject to discuss. Thank you, everybody, for coming. Uh, and maybe, if you more of our city, maybe you can add. A few. Thank you. Thank you, Francis. Thanks, everybody. Thank you,
4: Total Francis. P- thank you
0: so
1: much.
0: You, Total pleasure, everybody. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you,
1: Professor. It was an honor having you. Really appreciate it. It's all, it's all uh, Thank you, Professor. Thank you for. Uh, thank you for